Well, it was bound to happen at some point because each year, at some point during this Advent season, we are reintroduced to the great figure of St. John the Baptist. And for us, it happens here this evening. I find John the Baptist one of those guys in Scripture that is a bit hard to preach on, mainly because of his wardrobe and his diet, if you caught it. He's wearing camel hair, not sure where you get that. Wearing a leather belt, a little bit more normal. Eating wild locusts, not sure what those are. And eating honey, kind of a strange diet, kind of a strange wardrobe. And yet John the Baptist is given to us as the model of Advent. So what's going on? Why do we look at such a strange man who, by the way, also happens to be the cousin of Jesus? Now, John the Baptist, everyone we know, continues a long line of a certain type of legacy that's present throughout the Old Testament. What was John the Baptist besides a baptizer? John the Baptist is a prophet coming after a long line of Old Testament prophets. Now that begs the question, what did the prophets do? Well, they prophesied. Great. The prophets in the Old Testament in Israel did one thing. They called the people of Israel back to God. Hey, Israel. Hey, chosen people. Hey, God's beloved. Come back to the Lord. Come back to him. Turn from sin. Turn from idolatry. Turn from evil ways. Turn from all these things that you think will make you happy and come back to the Lord. That's what the prophets did. And John the Baptist was one of them. With one exception. What he was preparing them for was something even greater. He was preparing them for the coming of the kingdom of God in the person of his cousin, Jesus the Christ. He was preparing the way for the Lord. It's why we call him the forerunner and the precursor. That's what John the Baptist did. But notice everyone, when he was preparing the way for the Lord, just for a little time sense, right? To place it in some historical timeline. Jesus was still at home. He was still in Nazareth. He hadn't begun his public ministry yet. Because when did Jesus begin his public ministry? After he was baptized by John the Baptist. So Jesus hasn't started really getting the preaching, teaching, miracle working thing going yet. He's still at home. And John the Baptist is working his butt off. And he's baptizing like crazy. A different kind of baptism. But as he's baptizing, he's preaching what? We're told that he's preaching repentance. He's telling the people of Israel to repent, right? Now, why is that essential, and how does that connect back to Christmas, back to Jesus, back to what we're about to celebrate in about three weeks? Everyone, as we get closer to Christmas, if we don't understand the backdrop that John the Baptist provides, Christmas makes no sense. If we don't understand what John the Baptist was preaching, Jesus makes no sense. 
And here's why. The backdrop for Christmas is that the world needs a savior. The backdrop for Christmas is that we need the Lord. And John the Baptist is getting them ready for Jesus by saying, people of Israel, repent and get ready. And that's what he does. Now, a couple things. First, a note on where he's doing these baptisms. We're told that he's in the wilderness, in the desert. Uh, Archaeologists say that John the Baptist performed his ministry of baptism about 20 miles north of the city of Jerusalem. We say, oh, that's right around the corner. Not so fast. Remember, they walked everywhere. Well, 20 miles isn't that far. Really? When was the last time you walked to Wilton? Huh? We're told that the entire city of Jerusalem, we're told that all of Jerusalem and Judea and the surrounding region is going to see this weirdo eating weird things wearing weird clothes. And despite his weirdness, and despite his message of repentance, and calling the people back to God, they're still drawn to him. And they're called into the desert. Now, desert in Scripture is a very significant place. Because in the desert, there are no distractions. They're outside of the buzz of the city. They're off of Broadway, so to speak. And they're out in the desert where they can focus. So the first point I want to make here this evening would be this, everyone. Right now in our life, what's distracting us? Like right now in our life, what's grabbing our attention? What's distracting us from what matters most? And I bet if we can name it, if we can name for ourselves what might be distracting us right now during Advent, if we turn that over to the Lord, I can assure us that as we get closer to Christmas, Jesus will do something about it. He's God. If we can name in our life what's distracting us so that we can be in a certain kind of desert, away from distractions, if we can name that reality, we're letting God in in a whole new way. So the first thing is let's name for ourselves what is distracting me now. And then secondly, a note on repentance. I oftentimes wonder, is there anything that we can use as a measurable to tell us if my heart is good at repenting? Is there anything in my life that I can use as a kind of metric that says I'm really good at repenting or I'm kind of, kind of lousy at it? What I try to use as a good metric for repenting is this. Do I repent in my normal day-to-day life? in my normal human relationships? Do I repent at times to my spouse when I know I need to, to my coworkers, to my employees, to my boss, to my neighbors, to my friends, to my kids, to my parents, to my siblings? I bet if we're good at repenting in those ways, we're probably pretty good at repenting to God. But the whole, once again, backdrop for Christmas is having a heart that knows how to repent. And I know we don't like to hear that, and we don't like to do it because it's hard. But that's one thing to think about. 
So on the second Sunday of Advent, this great John the Baptist figure that we love reminds us to name the distraction and reminds us to repent, to come back to the Lord, to prepare a heart in a place worthy and ready for Jesus to be born anew.